I'm Toby Leary from Cape Gunworks. I'm passionate about all things Second Amendment. While I love to shoot... Going hot. There is so much more to guns than just pulling the trigger. A free and armed society is a responsible and self-reliant one. Join us to talk all things guns, freedom, and self-defense. It isn't just about being armed. It's about being responsibly armed. So load and make ready. This is Rapid Fire. Welcome to Rapid Fire, your weekly 2A talk radio show sponsored by Vortex Optics and the USCCA. You can tune in each week at rapidfireradio.us to join the conversation. And now you can join the Rapid Fire line, 508-444-2120. You can give us a call when we're recording live, or you can leave us a message. Just remember to put your name, location, and what your question is, and we will answer it. Or you can text the Rapid Fire line, 508-444-2120. That's 508-444-2120. We also have a bunch of... Uh, social media platforms and our handle is at capegunworks.com at all the usual suspects except for instagram we are cgw underscore backup as we've already been zuckerberg there Uh, so you'll be able to find us at cgw underscore backup where we put out some great content every week and now we're on patreon we've finally made the plunge and pulled the trigger to uh, patreon And uh, I look forward to supporting some other great 2A advocates on Patreon. And uh, hopefully you'll do the same. And uh, we'll start loading up content there. We'll also probably go live there once in a while. And uh, so we're excited about that. And that'll help promote and continue this work, which uh, in our opinion is is, uh, really important now more than ever uh, as we see administrations come to office that are hostile to your Second Amendment rights. We want to make sure that we bring the issues to the forefront, to the light, and uh, encourage people to be good, responsible gun owners in their communities and put forth a good face of gun ownership to those who might not know what gun ownership's all about. A lot of people think it's just a bunch of whiskey drinking yahoos who like to shoot off the back porch, but I would say that uh, gun owners are probably the most responsible people in America. Statistically, they are less likely to commit crime than even law enforcement officers. And that would certainly seem to be the case here in Massachusetts, where we've seen all kinds of uh, scandals with the state police. And uh, one of the police um, commissioners, if you will, or one of the uh, high-ranking officers in the state police just resigned in disgrace um, and pled guilty for his part in this overtime scandal et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, our our point isn't to spotlight uh, people who do bad things. Our point is to encourage people to do the right thing. And that's what we do here every day at Cape Gunworks and on Rapid Fire Radio is we urge people to make the world a better place by being a law-abiding, responsible gun owner in their communities. The law-abiding part sometimes comes with an asterisk in this day and age because The law changes from day to day, from term to term, month to month, year to year. And you have to be a uh, law professor these days to figure and meander your way through the law to make sure that you aren't 
in violation of any one or all of the of the laws. And we talked about on the Grace Curley show yesterday about this gentleman from Massachusetts. Uh, I think his name is, uh, it's, what was that case? Liver versus uh, Moran or something like that. Uh, Morton or, or whatever. But uh, he was down in um, Washington, D.C. going about his merry way thinking he could legally carry down there because he had a Massachusetts license to carry. And turns out he got in a world of hurt. And the state, when he came back to Massachusetts after pleading out to a couple of misdemeanor gun charges in Washington, D.C., the state denied him his license to carry. The good news is the uh, the the U.S. Supreme Court just vacated that uh, appeals court decision and remanded it back to the court and said you have to re-rule on this in light of the Bruin decision that came out in August. So... Uh, there's a lot of good movement, and it is getting very confusing if you're not really with your finger on the pulse of this. Um, and daily things are coming out. Uh, I know Gun Owners of America just came out with a uh, thing on New York uh, Concealed Carry Improvement Act. Um, they were issued a temporary restraining order as it, uh, you know, in their rush to overturn or figure out a way to flip the bird to the Supreme Court. Uh, Governor Hochul had this emergency session where they had this Concealed Carry Improvement Act, which is a joke. It It's a mockery in all, uh, you know, rights. In its own right, it's a mockery of the Supreme Court as they made it eight to ten times harder for the people of New York City to actually go out and exercise their right to keep and bear arms in light of the Bruin decision where they received a huge smackdown. Um, the attorney general there, uh, Bruin, was really uh, given a, a, a huge setback to the traditional way they've enforced the gun laws in New York City and in New York in general. And so now uh, it has caused a lot of these cases to be looked at differently. So some of the settled law, like in Massachusetts where we've had uh, court challenges to our unconstitutional uh, infringements upon our right to keep and bear arms. And they were kind of settled law because of this intermediate scrutiny, this two-step approach. Well, after Bruin, uh, Justice Clarence Thomas said that this is one step too many. And now a lot of these cases are getting uh, GVR. They're getting, uh, they're granted certiorari. They're being remanded or their decisions are being vacated and then they're being remanded back to the lower court where they initially upheld this uh, lower court ruling and saying, nope, you got to rule on this in light of the Bruin decision with single uh, step uh, scrutiny. So with strict scrutiny of text, history, and tradition. So this is creating this movement, if you will, of lawsuits and uh, and a lot of um, a lot of old law being brought to the forefront. We got a lot to talk about that. Um, but And I say that it's going to get worse before it gets better in traditional banned states like New York City, like Massachusetts, like New Jersey. Um, so there's, there's an example of this, obviously, in New York City. Um, but the good news is uh, a court has given this temporary restraining order 
um, on the implementation of this Concealed Carry Improvement Act. And that left Letitia James to come uh, to court because the, the court said this this temporary restraining order, I'm going to not allow this co- to be enacted for three days. I want to hear what the state has to say. And Letitia James came and said, oh, we just need you to maintain the status quo, which is our infringement of New Yorkers' right to keep and bear arms. And um, otherwise, it's going to create all this confusion. It's going to create this, you know, the the law enforcement's going to be confused. The issuing authorities are going to be confused. The people who are trying to abide by the law are going to be confused. And 100% correct. I agree 100% with Letitia James on that. She has created this situation. Uh, Governor Hochul has created this situation of extreme confusion and made it 10 times worse than it was prior to the Bruin decision coming out. All they really have to do is acknowledge that they've been infringing on the people of New York's right to keep and bear arms for a long time and say, I'm sorry, and stop doing it. But no, they want to continue their tyranny. Anyway, um, is your workplace prepared for a violent incident? We have a very special and sobering seminar coming November 4th at 1 p.m. at Cape Gunworks to bring your team to this two-hour seminar that will give you insights into preventing and mitigating workplace violence. Go to capegunworks.com and click on the class calendar to sign up. And our code word is safety. So use that at checkout. You'll get a special discount off your entire order at capegunworks.com. We'll be right back. This is Rapid Fire. personal protection has never been more popular than it is today. The USCCA can help fortify your home, sharpen your awareness, and develop your defensive plan. Go to uscca.com remote and use code word WORKS. Your family's safety and security is your responsibility. Go to uscca.com remote and use code word WORKS to sign up for a USCCA membership and get special training legal advice, and legal protection you and your family need. Vortex offers the very best optics specifically made for shooters with rugged construction designed for extreme environments. Vortex Optics build quality ensures accurate, reliable, and repeatable performance every time you squeeze the trigger. Add fully multi-coated lenses and nitrogen purging, and you have a quality optic with an extremely reasonable price tag. That is the Vortex difference. Come into Cape Gunworks to see the full line of Vortex optics today. Welcome back to Rapid Fire. The number here is 508-444-2120 if you want to be on the show. 508-444-2120 if we are not recording live you can always leave a message and we'll get to it next week or send us a text to 508-444-2120 so before the break we were talking about uh what's going on in new york city and um, i found it to be very interesting um there was an article on moland.com on october 3rd about the federal judge that uh, found that this emergency new york law to be unconstitutional uh most of it uh especially the portion forbidding the legal carry of firearms in Times Square. We put a little tweet out and on our social media pages the other day uh, about this, these gun-free zone signs that went up in New York, uh, New York's Times Square there. 
and ask people what, what they think of it. And we got a lot of reaction out of it, obviously. Um, but uh, this is what uh, the article goes on to say, and it says, based on the historical analogs uh, located thus far, it does not appear permissible for New York State to restrict concealed carry in the following place, the area commonly known as Times Square, as such areas are determined and identified by the city of New York, provided such areas shall be clearly um, shall be clearly and conspicuously identified with signage as stated in subsection, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and on October 11th, 2022, the city of New York defied the state Supreme Court, uh, the defied the Supreme Court and the federal district court by imposing a city law banning the legal carry of guns by ordinary citizens in Times Square with local law 0602-2022. The local law is to take effect immediately. Uh, there will almost certainly have been challenges to the law in short order. And as of this, those challenges have yet to be seen. Um, so New York and California's responses to the restoration of Second Amendment protections for the right to keep and bear arms stirs memories. This is the opinion of Amoland.com here, uh, of the Democrat Party's response to Brown versus Board of Education during the segregated South of the 1960s. Here's the message put forth by New York Mayor Eric Adams defying the Supreme Court. New York City Mayor Eric Adams today signed two bills aimed at tackling the scourge of gun violence in New York City and ensure that the city is safer for all, especially in light of the U.S. Supreme Court decision, New York State Rifle and Pistol Association v. Bruin. The first of this bill helps to track data from illegal gun trafficking within New York City, while the second bill does, does uh designates the new boundaries of the Times Square sensitive location, which prohibits the concealed carry of firearms within the sensitive zone, even by permit. Um, the mayor does not mention most mass murders prevent public uh, killings occur uh, in gun-free zones. Most of the uh, mass murder public killings occur in gun-free zones, as shown by the Crime Prevention Research Center. So since 1950, 94 percent of all mass killings have occurred in gun-free zones that is unbelievable if you think about that and what do we do we double down on our stupidity we absolutely refuse to look at the evidence before us that we are creating mass murder zones don't call them gun-free zones call them mass murder zones if you want to be honest about what they are because statistically 94 percent of all mass shootings occur in gun-free zones. Um, it's unbelievable. And yet they still thumb their nose at logic and reason and think that they can make you safer. I know they really don't think this, but this is the line of bull that they're trying to sell you, is that they know better. They make you safer by ensuring that guns aren't in these areas. The problem is they don't ensure that guns aren't in these areas. All they do is ensure that the people who would not be willing to risk losing their license to carry a state-issued permit, which is unconstitutional, um, and and not being able to own guns legally and lawfully, are the ones that are disarmed. Because the people who are going to ignore that sign are the people who are, generally speaking, career criminals or criminals by nature or insane and don't care what the law says because if they're going there to create mass harm, they know they have a, a less of a likelihood of actually encountering 
armed response. That's why they choose those places, not because uh, it's a neat place to visit and shoot people up. It's because they know that there's going to be no one there to oppose them. And they these psychos only want high body counts. And so they're not going to go. This is why mass killings don't occur at gun clubs. They don't occur at police stations. Um, they don't occur in Plano, Texas, <laughs> where like most people have uh, the, a ton of guns. So anyway, this is uh, this is one of those situations where um, they the the government officials are becoming willingly ignorant and dumb on purpose, if you will. Uh, because they are trying to solve a problem by a solution that will never work. Um, I've made the analogy a million times, and it's been a bumper sticker and a sign at many gun rights you know, rallies. But you can't make people safer by making it harder for sober drivers. You can't end drunk driving by making it harder for sober drivers to get cars. And that's the analogy here. And by the way... Something occurred to me yesterday. In Massachusetts, if you commit an OUI even once, I think since 1993 or 95, the, the potential of jail time, which never really occurs, is two and a half years in jail, which automatically makes you a prohibited person in this state forever, from ever owning a firearm if you're convicted. If you are convicted of a crime that is punishable by two and a half years in prison, then then you are a prohibited person for life. But think about it. Why are you prohibited from owning a firearm? Well, because you committed an OUI, right? We all know that OUIs or drunk driving causes thousands of deaths a year, somewhere in the neighborhood of 10,500 to 11,000 to 11,500 deaths a year on our roads and streets, highways and byways in America. That is about a third of all the gun uh, deaths by gun. And if you look at the statistics of death by gun, where half are suicide, and then the other half you could basically parcel out to um, concealed carry holders using them in self-defense, uh, law enforcement inter- interactions with a firearm, and crime. So I would make the argument that far less people die a year in what the media loves to term as gun violence than in drunk driving accidents. Drunk driving accidents, we've had laws in every fifth, all 50 states against driving and operating a motor vehicle while under the influence of alcohol. And it still hasn't stopped it. But here's the kicker. Because somebody drove a car as an OUI or drove drunk 10, 15, whatever the years ago it was, maybe last week even, they will pay the penalty. They'll, they'll maybe do some jail time, maybe not. Probably not if it's your first offense. They'll lose their license for a year, right? And then guess what? They get their license back, and we give them back a car, right? We enable them to drive the car again, but they can never touch a firearm ever again. So their rights to drive, which is technically a privilege, has been restored 
after a year or after a fine has been paid or after a small stint in the Huskow. And we're going to allow them to go do what it was they were arrested for in the first place, which hopefully they'll never reoffend. But we see the statistics of multiple. I remember Joan Kennedy got arrested, I think, four times for drunk driving. But the point is, we let them go back and get in a car where they could potentially kill people, which takes the lives of ten to 11,000 people a year on these streets and highways and cities and towns of our country. But yet we're going to say, you can't own a firearm. We're going to permanently ban their right to keep and bear arms, a constitutionally protected and enumerated right. But we're going to allow them to get back in the vehicle that they, you know, I think they should be able to keep and bear an arm, but maybe lose their driving privileges for life. How about that? Because that that doesn't make sense to me. Like we're going to ban something that's completely unrelated and say, oh, but you can go ahead and drive after a year or pay a fine or do a little time. And uh, yeah, you're going to have to pay some higher insurance premiums. And in some cases, they might not even have, you know, completed a drug or alcohol treatment program successfully. They might still have a problem with drugs or alcohol and continue to drive and potentially do that. But we don't see the logic or we don't see the problem with permanently banning somebody's constitutionally protected rights. But we'll we'll go ahead and say, oh, here, here are your keys back. Go ahead and drive. You, you did your time. Right. You did your you paid your debt to society by paying the fine, doing community service, you know, going to the drug and alcohol treatment program. And, yeah, I get it. It costs a lot of money, but we're going to let them jump right back in the car and go ahead out on the road. But all of a sudden we're going to say, but you can't have your right to keep and bear arms back. That to me is unconstitutional in every way, shape or form. But what do you think about that? Uh, 508-444-2120. That's the number to call us or text us the rapid fire line. 508-444-2120. One of the texters says it's because the alcohol industry donates to politicians. Maybe if firearms companies donated a few politicians, it would force their hands. Possibly. But I think that we have gone way off track, if you think about it, um, as it relates to firearms. And we have in some ways conceded that gun laws make you safer when they don't. They absolutely do not make you safer. If anything, they make you uh, less safe. Um, We don't punish the violent criminal. So all we want to do is we want to cut the horns off of the, the, the impala to defend itself against the lion, because that's really what you're doing every time you enact some sort of gun law. Remember, this week's discount code is SAFETY at CapeGunWorks.com to get the special discount on your web orders. That's code SAFETY. So go to CapeGunWorks.com or RapidFireRadio.us right now to get your special discount using this week's code SAFETY. And we got Mike Deddy Part 2 next. You don't want to miss it. Voltec VT-10i. It's your travel buddy, so it goes where you go. To your work, on the road, or at the range. It's the smart and rugged safe built to protect, no matter what you trust it with. We've made sure every inch of your safe is built to the highest possible standards. Security is at the forefront of our thoughts. 
so no unwanted guest. The VT-10i provides multiple quick and simple access points, including high-resolution biometrics, backlit numeric keys, keyed entry, and even your smartphone for remote access. The two-point anti-impact latches keep your safe strong, and Voltec lithium-ion battery charges in just 2.5 hours and lasts up to six months, so it won't let you down. There's a reason we're the number one rated biometric safe. Get yours at VoltecSafe.com and find us online at Facebook.com slash VoltecSafe. Welcome back to Rapid Fire. I'm your host, Toby Leary, and join us every week for the only show around that's all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense. And I'm really happy to have on the phone with us again uh, author Mike Detty, who's the author of Operation Wide Receiver, a book about uh, some of the ATF uh, operations that led to Fast and Furious. And Mike, thanks so much for joining us. How are you today? Toby, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, my pleasure. The last time we spoke, we were talking about um, Operation Wide Receiver, the the operation you were involved in when you contacted the ATF, and and basically where it led. and And uh, it was a fascinating story. And we were talking about you know how <laughs> how the government sometimes makes work for themselves when there's already a ton of work out there to investigate. And, and, uh, (laughs) this was one of those times when, uh, you know, it seems like, um, you brought them some valuable information and it was an operation that could have been wrapped up very quickly, but, uh, it ended up dragging on for years and didn't really produce many results. And, uh, I was wondering if you could maybe speak to that. And also you mentioned, uh, one of the agents that was involved that kind of stood up in the backlash that uh, he faced. Uh, if you would, wouldn't would mind talking a little bit about that, but also tell people a little bit about yourself um, as a way of introduction and then just jump right into it. Uh, you know, the story's fascinating, and I think it needs to be told. Sure. Well, just a little bit about myself. I've been writing for uh, gun magazines for 30 years now, and you may see my bylines in, in magazines like Ballistic, Combat Handguns, uh, Personal Defense World. Uh, used to write for NRA's American Rifleman, uh, but right now I'm with Athlon Outdoors and concentrating all my efforts. They give me so much work. Um, I, I can't even think about working for anybody else. I've also been in, involved in the gun industry, and back in 2006, I was a distributor for DPMS, Rock River, and Armlite, all of which produce AR-15s. And I sold my goods at Arizona gun shows. So Arizona is such a gun-friendly state that in a typical month, we would probably have three different gun shows. Uh, uh, So I stayed busy with that when I wasn't riding. And that's what led me to Operation Wide Receiver. I had a what what I deemed was a suspicious customer based on his lack of knowledge and his wads of cash in his pockets and, and uh, desire to buy multiples of the same type of item. And 
when I reported that to the local ATF office, they asked me to become involved in this investigation. We did a formal confidential informant contract. Um, and basically, uh, became, uh, you know, an unbadged agent in terms of the amount of time and, and stuff that I reports that I wrote and after action reports and, uh, debriefings at their office and recording audios and videos and so forth of the customers. It, it became, really became a second job for me. And, oh. and they got me pretty darn cheap. I think over three years as an informant, I made maybe $15,000, wow. um, and CI money is what they called it. Mm-hmm. Basically an envelope of cash. But by the same token, that's three years of having cartel uh, associates in my living room buying guns, usually late at night, dark outside. Sometimes there was a surveillance team outside. Sometimes there wasn't. Always there was a, uh, a transmitter in my cargo pocket that worked at best sporadically. I'd sometimes get a cell phone saying, hey, Mike, the transmitter's out turn it on and off again (laughs) (laughs) as I'm sitting there trying to be stone faced, wondering if, if the person sitting next to me in here, because like most shooters, you know, I'm a little bit deaf and have to keep the volume on my phone up. Um, yeah, it was not a, not a good situation. I I tried to be a good Patriot. I did what was asked of me. I, I feel like I did it to the best of my ability. And it's just a shame that, what they told me this was about, you know, selling guns to these Mexican cartels was about taking down the cartels. It wasn't about sending as many guns to Mexico so they turn up at crime scenes so that we could push an anti-gun agenda here in the United States, which is my speculation is what this was all about, Operation Wide Receiver and Fast and Furious. Wow. So once once word got out after agent uh, Border Patrol agent Brian Terry's death, there uh, people started to talk about it. People were requesting, uh, you know, special uh, investigations into it, and a special counsel be you know assembled to look into this. And one thing that always surprised me because I remember when this when it was happening um, was how. Eric Holder and Barack Obama actually claimed attorney-client privilege, and they uh, he also ignored subpoenas to come testify before a, a House Judiciary Committee. And then once he did, uh, you know, there's pretty it's pretty obvious that he probably perjured himself. Uh, but nothing happened as a result of it. It it kind of just they just ignored it and. The media didn't really hold their feet to the fire and it kind of went away. But what happened, what happened with the people that are around you? Like, was there any overt threats or, you know, anything like veiled threats, like don't talk about this to anybody or, you know, anything like that? Well, that was, that was always understood that I, you know, kept it confidential. My, my, my closest friends, my family, uh, Nobody was aware of what was going on. Um, as far as threats goes, uh, I never received any overt threats. 
But then again, the people that I'm dealing with, they're not likely to give you a warning that they're going right. to kick in your front door and shoot you, right? So right. Um, the one thing that really, really bothered me and, and uh, just makes me hate my own government, and, uh, don't get me wrong, I'm a, a patriot. I love my country, and there's nothing I wouldn't do for my country. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't cross the street to to do a thing for my government anymore. Mm. And I don't care if it's ATF or FBI or IRS. No, I, I don't owe them a thing. So, yeah, it's a uh, th- this this has jaded me like nothing else. And when you ask about uh, were you threatened or did something happen to you? One of the first things that happened after Brian Terry was killed was ATF and, and Department of Justice started backtracking, trying to cover their own trail because mm. they they knew immediately that hey, this is not going to look good for us. And of course, I was somewhere in that path when they were backtracking. Uh, An AUSA sent from Washington asked if if I'd ever kept notes. Well, I kept a diary during those entire three years. If I had to buy one night, I would, you know, uh, what the buyer's name was, what associates they brought with them. If I take any pictures, um, the guns, they were sold, serial numbers, total number, amount of cash, Hmm. all that information was in that, that journal. And, uh, um, once you know that, a couple weeks after this, that my computer is is attacked, and all that information, all those folders are missing. Wow. Emails that I sent the special agent in charge, uh, emails that I sent my case agent, those were missing. Hmm. Audio tapes of, of, of conversations that happened here with me, and they would always have me run my own personal digital recorder because they said the quality was better than the, than the transmitter that they were using. And so I would do that, which meant that every time one of these events happened, I would have to download that onto a, a CD in those days and then take it down to uh, the, federal, the federal building. Well, all that information got wiped out on my computer. Amazing. And it's amazing. Nothing else, you know. Other stuff was there, you know, I looked around and if it weren't for the advice that I got from a very good friend that was in the intelligence field, he worked as an interrogator for one of the most elite military organizations in the United States. Um, I backed up my computer every night and I kept that uh, the hard drive in one of my gun safes. So I was able to restore everything. So I had to give them an A for effort and, you know, a, a D or an F in execution because they didn't accomplish the job. And I was able to restore all those files of what would be damning, incriminating information <clears throat> to them, uh, uh, taking away their, their deniability factor. Wow. So um, the, the same person, the, the intelligence agent, he told me, he said, you know, I, I work a lot of organized crime stuff and I do a lot of stuff up in Minneapolis surveilling mosques, there's terrorism, which guys have gone overseas, all that stuff. He says, I've talked to some of those FBI agents. 
none of this is making sense to them. None of them are aware of this, and they're aware of about just about everything going out on in the Southwest. He said, so I want you to start recording the agents, not just on the phone, but when you have conversations with them at the federal building or if you have conversations with them at the house. And he said, just save those. You probably never need them, but just save them. Hmm. And fortunately, I did. And like I said, that took away their ability to deny uh, that these things happened. Wow. Well, it's a good thing you were smart enough to ask the right questions to the right people. And it's sad that you uh, you come to your government to help because of something you suspect what you were right about. And meanwhile, this is a boomerang by design targeted, you know, to come right back at you and the other people who aren't part of the problem and blame all of this at their feet just so that they can forward their political agenda. That That is a scary, scary thought. And, um, you know, it's, it's sad that that's exactly what happened because, you know, I, I followed it myself and it is just unsettling and unnerving to a certain extent that the government is actually working against us in a lot of things, you know, and that's what the brilliance of our founders was to have small government (laughs) that is a representation of the people for the people by the people. And, and I think we've become a bloated tick when you see stories like this. uh, Exactly. And it's, here's something that's, that's even worse is that, uh, the, uh, the 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 director of the ATF at that during that time period um, went in front of the Appropriations Committee and used some of my cases that had been successful where they took down a number of people and and shut down one one of these trafficking things so to say um, and used it to actually get more money to fund the agency so like I mentioned earlier. Um, they just had seven agents on the violent crime side of the office, and that and that the other side of the office is industry ops. The, the, not agents, I forget what they call them. They're not agents, but they come out and review your acquisition yeah, and, and disposition book. Yeah, the IOIs. right industry op guys. Um, but there were just seven. Well, and they were all in one office down at the the Tucson Federal Building downtown. They have four campuses in Tucson now. And they have at least four times as many agents. I would bet it's probably closer to six times uh, as many agents as they used to have based on them committing a crime where there really hadn't been one before and using it to justify more appropriations. Wow. So okay. more money, more power, more crime. Yeah. Well, hopefully, uh, People are being made aware of this on a regular basis, and one of the best ways they could be made aware is to read your book. Um, Why don't you tell everyone where they could find your book, Mike, and how to follow some of the work that you have going on? Sure. Easiest way to find it would be to go to Amazon, and uh, it's available in paperback, Kindle, and also audiobook. Uh, Search it by Operation Wide Receiver or by Mike Detty, D-E-T-T-Y. And you'll find it. I think it's for paperback. It's something like 15 bucks. Buy one. Uh, let all your friends borrow it. Let, let the word get around. It's an older story now, but uh, I don't think much has changed since then. It doesn't seem like it, but oh, man. 
Thank you so much. We got lots to talk about and think about, and I appreciate you joining the show. We'll have to do this again for sure. Toby, thanks for including me. All right, man. And we're going to a break, but you should go to the rapidfireradio.us and check out the latest Rapid Fire gear. Show your Pro 2A by wearing a shirt, hat, or grab a flag. Go to rapidfireradio.us and click on Get Rapid Fire Gear. We will be right back. This is Rapid Fire. become all the rage these days. Apparently the mainstream media has gotten all over this term and they're really misinterpreting what it means. And there's something that you need to know as a responsibly armed American. Constitutional carry simply allows you to carry a gun without a permit. That's it. It does not vacate your responsibility of what you're going to do with that gun. Remember, you are responsible for every action you take and certainly every round that comes out of that muzzle. And constitutional carry doesn't take that away. So when we're arguing with anti-gunners who are complaining that constitutional carry makes the world less safe, let's remind them that whether a state has constitutional carry or an over-the-top requirement for you to get your concealed carry permit, none of that takes away your responsibility when you're dealing with a firearm. You will be held accountable for your actions as every responsibly armed American should be. So make sure you get the proper training and you know your laws so you're doing the right thing. I'm Kevin Michalowski, editor of Concealed Carry Magazine. Go to uscca.com to learn more about protecting yourself and your family. So you guys heard it. If you want the best legal protection, join the USCCA. Go to uscca.com forward slash remote. And use code word WORKS. That's uscca.com forward slash remote and use code word WORKS. Thank you to Mike Deddy for giving me another interview. Uh, I am more than halfway through his book and it is a fascinating read. He's an excellent writer. Um, He's had lots of experience with uh, writing for various uh, firearms industry and law enforcement industry publications. And one of the things, I don't want to give away too much of the book. I I recommend everybody get it. Um, It's called uh, Operation Wide Receiver, an informant's um, uh, struggle to expose the corruption and deceit that led to Operation Fast and Furious. Um, It's from 2015. But one of the things that I found uh, very ironic was when he was engaged in as a confidential informant for the government and basically setting up these buys for these cartel agents. He was currently writing for law enforcement publications. (laughs) And so he's like, all someone had to do is Google my name and they would see my name pop up in all these law enforcement publications uh, and read some of the articles of my support of law enforcement activities. And the jig would have been up, but thankfully these uh, criminals are lazy and, um, you know, it didn't blow his cover because that could have gone horribly wrong for him. So anyway, um, and Mike on the Vineyard is saying, uh, Mike Deddy's account brings to mind the saying, I love my country, but I fear my government. Uh, what happens when a government becomes criminal? That's a very good question, Mike. And so um, that's uh, 
you know, something to think about because I, I know there's a guy who knows better than anybody uh, what's at stake for helping, you know, and, and uh, unfortunately that's the, um, that's the, the downside to helping. Like Howie Carr always says, no good deed goes unpunished, right? <laughs> uh, so, you know, you try to do the right thing and it ends up just souring your opinion of those that are, at, you know, at work. Another part that I found really funny, and I didn't want to, uh, we didn't have time to bring it up, but um, was when he's trying to convince the the cartel dudes that, you know, when they're starting to get rolled up, a couple of them got, the low-level guys were getting arrested, and they're panicking and they're calling him, and he's got to play the part to say, like, oh, man, those guys, you better keep your mouth shut, you know, you make sure, blah, blah, blah. But one of the parts that was funny is, he basically is telling the cartel members how stupid ATF agents are. <laughs> He's like, don't worry, they're a bunch of morons over there. And meanwhile, this is all on recording, so the ATF has to listen to this, you know. And they're like, oh, thanks for the voice of confidence, vote of confidence. But you're probably not far off from the truth there, right? So anyway, um, get Mike Deddy's book. It's it's very, very good. And uh, real quick, I want to get to some more. Oh, when we come back, we'll get to your questions on the chat. Um, so... Make sure you don't go away. And the USCCA is sponsoring a very special presentation with Beth Alcazar, nationally recognized author and authority on self-defense. Learn how carrying a firearm is different for women and how to better defend your family. And guys, this is a women's only event. So sign up that woman in your life and uh, at capegunworks.com and have her come here. Beth Alcazar's... Uh, women's defense fundamentals course uh, coming up very soon. So go to capeconworks.com and we will be right back. You're listening to Rapid Fire. I'm Toby Leary. Made in America since 1949. Family owned and operated. Legendary performance. This is Hornady. Federal ammunition is 100. This is where the American ingenuity met a trailblazing spirit. Hard work united with patriotism and technology blended with new ideas. That's federal ammunition. Right here in Anoka, Minnesota, born in 1922, made in America, and proud to be the best. Federal ammunition, a century of innovation. And we're only getting started. SnapSafe, featuring a pry-resistant 316-inch solid steel door, 2300-degree Fahrenheit one-hour fire shield protection, and a lifetime warranty. SnapSafe, a modular safe with welded safe security. Welcome back to Rapid Fire, your weekly 2A talk radio show. You can call in or leave a message. You call the Rapid Fire line. It's 508-444-2120. That's 508-444-2120. And I want to get to your questions on the chat line. Uh, We ran out of time uh, before the break. Uh, Parker's wondering if there's any court cases on the horizon that will work towards eliminating the mass-approved firearms roster. I don't understand how it's still allowed after the Bruin decision. Uh, Great question, Parker. And yes, Firearms Policy Coalition has a case 
challenging the constitutionality or the lawfulness of the mass approved weapons roster. Um, We're going to see that it was originally dismissed. And after the Bruin decision, they asked for it to be reconsidered because in light of uh, that single step scrutiny, the strict scrutiny, um, it should not have been dismissed. You know, they, the reason they were able to enact it and have it upheld all these years is because of that uh, two-step scrutiny. So you're absolutely right. It's definitely something that should go away, and hopefully we'll see some movement in that. Um, 500 Magnum is wondering if we can have an SKS in Massachusetts, and absolutely we can. That is a gun that we we can have. And I I floated this out there the other day on the pre-roll of the Grace Curley show or the post-roll. I don't remember which way it was, but... um, we got to do a video about, you know, name a gun, mass compliant, yes or no, <laughs> and have a little Q&A and have a little, like, uh, have a little fun with it. But, you know, uh, AR-15, mass compliant, yes or no? And a lot of people are like, yeah. Other people are like, no. And the true answer is no, it's not. Uh, but there's an asterisk there. There is a way to get a mass compliant AR-15. It's just going to be either... A pre-ban, which, by the way, we just got 10 pre-ban rifles in today. And they're beautiful eagle arms. A lot of them are consecutive serial number lowers, uh, which is pretty cool. So if you wanted to get, like, a consecutive pair, by all means, call the shop. We'll help you out. Uh, 508-771-3600. But they go quick. They go really quick. And I've already got a few sold. Uh, I'm custom building somebody a nice upper for one. And I'm going to trick out the lower as well. Um, so if you want a unencumbered AR-15, you got to get a true pre-band. Uh, but, so we'll do some sort of show or some sort of YouTube short or something like that on Gun of the Week. Is it mass compliant? Yes or no? Because there's so many people that don't really know. Um, and it's... It's very hard to meander the gun laws in Massachusetts. And a lot of them, I mean, this has been the law of the land, if you will, since 1994. Although it got way more complicated July 20th, 2016, uh, the day that will live in infamy. Uh, was it 2016 or 2017? I can't even remember. July 20th, 7-2016. Yeah, 2016 um, is when the Attorney General Maura Healy uh, said that any of the guns named in the enumerated uh, assault weapons ban of 94 that Massachusetts made permanent in 98 are, can't be sold in any configuration, no matter how the manufacturer makes them to be sold. And if you sell them, you're going to be charged with a felony and pay a $10,000 fine and fund your own prosecution, which is surprising because I didn't know that was a thing. Um, you don't ever like arrest somebody and immediately levy a $10,000 fine against them to fund a prosecution against them. Uh, But apparently when it comes to guns in Massachusetts, they can make up their own rules as they go. Um, And I alluded to it early on, I think it was in the first segment, about how a permit is even unconstitutional. And um, I think if you look at that case in uh, Pennsylvania in the 50s, I believe it was, or maybe it was 1945, um, that they were forbidden from charging a fee or 
selling a license or a permit for a constitutionally protected civil right. And that's exactly what they're doing as it relates to your uh, Second Amendment. So I'd love to see that one challenged in court as well. Uh, But anyway, uh, getting back to your questions here. Uh, 500 is saying, have I had any experience with the 41 Action Express or the 500? um, What was it? The 500? I saw it up here. uh, Like Wyoming uh, Express. And the answer is no to both of those. Um, the, I said the 500 Wyoming Express sounds like a uh, a rail line out in the Old West. <laughs> uh, I'm taking the 500 Wyoming Express at at dark, and I'll, I should be in uh, I should be in Idaho by Sunday. Uh, but anyway, uh, no, I haven't tried either of those. Uh, they're they're both pretty cool. Um, Smeggy says Mike was smart to cover his butt, no doubt about it. And G-Webs points out that Mike always had a few tables or more at Arizona gun shows. He was a de- dependable distributor amongst mostly gun shops selling their used stuff, private sales, collectibles, and bunk am- bulk ammo. Yeah, um, you know, that was the heyday, right? Uh, gun shows, I remember going to gun shows even here in Massachusetts, uh, early 90s, 93, 94, and remembering like shotgun news magazine you could still get some good deals out of the back of that and uh you could get a hk um sp89 for like 18.99 and i remember going to some of the gun shows seeing someone charging 2100 bucks for an sp89 going i can get that for 1900 bucks out of shotgun news these guys are crazy and now i look at those sp89s and they're they're absolute gold <laughs> Uh, so anyway, you, you, the market changes all the time. By the way, I don't know if you guys noticed who are watching on camera. You might have noticed my HK P7M8 has changed color. Well, the other one was just a P7 and it was nickel finish. And I've done some horse trading with a buddy to get the M8, which is the one I like better with the magazine release on the trigger guard. And it's the blued version. Uh, and he wanted the heel clip version. So, hey. Uh, it was a win-win for both of us. We just did an even swap. Now I can say I've had three of these P7M8s, and I'm going to try to hold on to this one for a while, and uh, we'll see what happens. But I did a little video of Toby Takes on the World shooting the P7, and uh, boy, is that an accurate gun. It's it's a ton of fun to shoot, and uh, those have attained cult-following status. Um, but, yeah. I don't know if um, I'll hold on to this one forever or sell it like I usually do, but I'm going to try to hold on to it anyway. <laughs> they, they have a way of worming their way out from my grip. but Well, that's the first hour in the bag, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. And remember, the show is ending here, but it goes on for another hour. So make sure you tune in at rapidfireradio.us or capegunworks.com, or you can text the Rapid Fire line or leave a message to 508-444-2120. You can ask uh, questions and check out some of our online content. Freedom will always be on the right side of history. So stay tuned. We will see you next time, or we'll see you on the other side. I'm Toby Leary, and we'll be right back.
May your tag of a lifetime finally come through. May the snow pile up and the elk come down. May your socks always stay dry. May the herd bull finally break from the herd. And may your aim always stay true. Welcome to the next level. Welcome to the Vortex. Once you're involved in something like this, the stress level, it can tear up a family. He said he was tried in the court of public opinion before he ever stepped foot in a courtroom, but surveillance video helped shed light on what actually happened. 50-year-old Ford employee Billy Coert was charged with attempted murder for shooting his gun in the United Auto Workers 551 parking lot in June 2016. To have everything you worked for taken away. Coert was suspended and then terminated from his job with Ford, where he'd worked for nearly two decades. To have somebody have your back and have a company that have your back, and then they put me in touch with a great attorney. That was the best feeling. Go to uscca.com to learn more about protecting yourself and your family. Alexander Hamilton said, those who stand for nothing will fall for anything. This is Toby from Cape Gunworks. When our founding fathers drafted the Second Amendment, there was no question of its meaning. Today, if you have questions, come to Cape Gunworks for some advice, training, or to send a few rounds downrange. We have a fully stocked pro shop with a huge selection of guns, crossbows, archery, classes, rentals, a 15-lane range, and a friendly staff. Come on down to Cape Gunworks Airport Road Hyannis or capegunworks.com. Welcome to Rapid Fire, a 2A talk radio show sponsored by Vortex Optics and the USCCA. Tune in each week at Rapid Fire Radio to join the conversation. Now you can call or text the Rapid Fire line, 508-444-2120. It's 508-444-2120. And like us and subscribe on all of our social media platforms. Our handle is at Cape Gunworks everywhere except for Instagram where it's cgw underscore backup and we are now on patreon so you can support our work there we've got one or two videos up there right now so it's going to be a while before we get a lot of content but we'll probably do some live stuff there and uh have some fun with that and i look forward to supporting some other gun content creators on that uh site as well funny thing before yesterday i had never even been on a patreon page so uh, it was funny to do some digging around there and see some great content. So, um, But anyway, if you want to follow us there, we're at Cape Gunworks. And uh, look forward to you guys tuning into this show each and every week. We're in the second hour. Uh, we got Keith Langer coming up in, a, in the next segment, and uh, so you don't want to miss that. Uh, but I did want to highlight something that just happened. I tried to get to this in the first hour, but I sometimes get a little verbose and uh, this was in New Jersey a, a state appeals court overturned a conviction on a necessity defense and I'd love to get maybe Keith's opinion on this in the next segment or maybe next week give him a little uh, chance to re- research this but uh, the court said that the defendant was acutely aware that other individuals in the community wanted to hurt or kill him we find that more than sufficient evidence to conclude that the threat to the, the defendant was imminent and compelling and raised a reasonable expectation in the defendant that he would be safer uh, 
oh, that he would suffer physical injury, if not death. The decision went on. Uh, the defendant's plea to law enforcement went unanswered, and he moved and tried to move out of the state, wasn't able to, and he was attacked outside of his new home. So here's a guy who is trying everything to avoid being attacked. Apparently, he was uh, a confidential informant, and when the people he was you know, helping the police or aiding the police in rounding up found out it was him, they came after him with a vengeance. And Law enforcement could have cared less. They it fell on deaf ears. They they weren't trying to protect him in any way, shape, or form. So he was carrying a gun, and he happened to get arrested in a vehicle when they asked him to take step out of the car. And he had a Beretta pistol in his waistband with one round in it because his plan was to, if they came at him, he would fire a warning shot and then run, which obviously isn't a good plan if you're going to carry a gun. But he knew it was illegal to carry a gun, but he did it because. That's what he felt like he needed to do in order to stay alive or stay safe. Um, and so the the appeals court overturned his conviction of unlawful carrying of a firearm under the necessity defense. So this is pretty interesting because New Jersey did not issue license to carry unless you could prove that a band of ninjas was about to descend upon you and, and kill you. And so if you couldn't prove that, they weren't going to give you a, a license to carry. And and this guy apparently could uh, prove that this band of evil people were trying to kill him because he had been beaten twice. He moved to a different city. They found out where he moved to and followed him to his new residence and beat him outside of his new residence. And uh, he, if he had the money, he was going to move out of state, but apparently he didn't. So anyway, long story short, um, he decided to carry a gun for his own personal protection. But he had even thought about it to the point where, like, I can't shoot anyone because that'll then I'll really be in trouble. So I'll fire a warning shot and I'll run. So, <laughs> I mean, crazy the lengths the guy has to go to to exercise his uh, right to keep and bear arms. And then apparently uh, it all blew up in his face anyway when he was uh, tried and convicted. But good on the court to overturn this. Uh, when they say, hey, law enforcement has failed this guy. They can't protect him, and he has a right to keep and bear arms. I don't know what his you know, criminal past or record was, but the bottom line is uh, this could be an interesting situation to watch and follow as it unfolds and goes further down the court system because I'm sure it'll be appealed. Um, and you know, maybe we'll, we'll see some movement on these lifetime prohibitions on uh, – the right to keep and bear arms. In the first hour, I kind of went at great length to point out that people who have a OUI or driving while intoxicated in Massachusetts become lifetime prohibited persons because the that carries a potential sentence of up to two and a half years in jail, which no one ever serves that. But because you could be convicted and sentenced to two and a half years in jail, you're now a prohibited person. But after paying the fee and paying the fine, you get your license back, <laughs> but you don't get to exercise your right to keep and bear arms, as ridiculous as all that is. So um, something to watch. You know, this is uh, this is very interesting. And uh, we also saw um, some movement uh, where the Supreme Court unanimously uh, uh, remanded or GVR'd a case on firearms co- confiscation uh, which is a very interesting case uh, of a person who 
um, basically had a member of the family call the police on him. And uh, when the police showed up, he the cop like knocked a shade off the door and he bent over to pick it up and the, and the cop uh, said, don't move and like threatened to tase him. And he said, don't tase me because I have a heart condition. And the cop interpreted that as tase me because I want to die because of my heart condition. And so he got a department of mental health person to come get him committed. And while he was committed, he noticed that he had firearms. So he called the wife and they went down and, confiscated all his firearms well the supreme court has uh you know vacated this decision and said that that was an unlawful uh confiscation of his firearms and uh all for you know somebody who basically uh unethically called the police on him in the first place when the police showed up they acknowledged not this had nothing to do with guns even though that they, it led them to confiscate his guns they also said, yeah, that family member shouldn't have called the police on you in this situation. This is not, uh, you know, uh, there's no one being threatened here. And, and that should have been the end of it. But instead, he had his rights, you know, severely uh, stepped on. And uh, we'll see what happens with the uh, Supreme Judicial Court, uh, you know, ruling unanimously to um, on this firearms case i haven't really read deep into it but uh i'm definitely looking forward to that as well so that could be some some more uh topic for discussion in the future with uh attorney keith langer so uh stay tuned for all that but there's lots of stuff going on in the news at a breakneck speed um day in day out day out uh with you know a lot of these uh cases that have been upheld by lower courts with their two-step scrutiny um, that are now getting GVR'd almost on a daily, weekly basis by the Supreme Court to be remanded back to the lower courts. And uh, we, we see them out in California now with the assault weapons ban and the magazine restrictions ban going back to uh, Benitez, uh, the district court judge that has become known as St. Benitez to the gun-owning community. And, um, you know, it's back in his lap, and he is making quick uh, movement and quick. Uh, he's making both sides of the argument bring legal briefs in a quick and expedited matter because it's already been going on for how many years and the the Supreme Judicial Court has spoken, uh, the Supreme Court has spoken and remanded it back down to the lower court to fix it and then they punted it down, just delay tactics. So we're waiting to see what's going to happen here in Massachusetts in a similar case where um, we had somebody whose license uh, would not be renewed because of two misdemeanors. And you remember in Massachusetts, we were a May issue state until the Bruin uh, case. And because of that May issue status, police chiefs had great discretion on what they were willing or unwilling to do. So they they could say, oh, no, I don't like the neighborhood you live in. I don't like the house you live in. I don't like, you know, the, you know, your past history as a kid or you know you were out joyriding at night when you were 17 years old so therefore i'm not gonna give you a license to carry and people were kind of stuck with it unless they wanted to appeal this decision and uh now the that's been gvr'd by the supreme court again unanimously uh sent back to the uh first circuit court of appeals we talked about this last week with keith uh langer and um to to look at it in light of the bruin language and um, because this man was denied his license to carry, even though it was 
two misdemeanor gun charges that he pled out to, uh, no felonies. So he was not a prohibited person federally, uh, but they said, no, we're not going to give you your license. So this is good. So the state now has this and, and uh, you know, Keith might be able to give us an update on that when we have him on uh, as well. So uh, looking forward to all of that. And, um, you know, just trying to keep up with the news these days is dizzying, though. Uh, it, it is a full-time uh, job. Uh, Jared from Guns and Gadgets does a phenomenal job of it. Uh, Bearing Arms, Ammo Land, Firearms Policy Coalition, even Breitbart News um, does a lot with uh, some of the cases that go into effect. There's a big article today about uh, Hunter Biden and whether or not he's going to be charged uh, for his lying on his for- federal 4473 uh, around the time that he was definitely addicted to uh, crack cocaine. And he lied on his federal 4473 form, obtained a firearm that ended up in a trash can at a supermarket within a thousand feet of a school. So, uh, yeah, and and there's also some questions around that. Did the Secret Service play cover up for all that? But anyway, topic for another day. Uh, If you're hearing this and you don't have your gun license, yes, we still have to take a class in Massachusetts. And we have those classes regularly scheduled on our calendar, including a ladies-only class and a couples class coming up on October 15th. So sign up at capegunworks.com. And you don't want to miss out. we got Keith next. This is Rapid Fire. Having a firearm for personal protection has never been more popular than it is today. The USCCA can help fortify your home, sharpen your awareness, and develop your defensive plan. Go to uscca.com slash remote and use code word WORKS. Your family's safety and security is your responsibility. Go to uscca.com slash remote and use code word WORKS to sign up for a USCCA membership and get special training, legal advice, and legal protection you and your family need. Vortex offers the very best optics specifically made for shooters with rugged construction designed for extreme environments. Vortex Optics build quality ensures accurate, reliable, and repeatable performance every time you squeeze the trigger. Add fully multi-coated lenses and nitrogen purging, and you have a quality optic with an extremely reasonable price tag. That is the Vortex difference. Come into Cape Gunworks to see the full line of Vortex Optics today. Welcome back to Rapid Fire, your weekly show, all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense. And as usual, we are wading through the jungle of gun laws, federally and locally. And one of the experts we rely on and lean on heavily every week for his expert opinion is attorney Keith Langer. Keith, thanks for joining us today. How are you? I'm fine. That is a fascinating case out of New Jersey. Having once lived there, I can tell you it makes Massachusetts look almost good. Right. And I suspect that what we're seeing in this case is a backlash against that luminary police chief in New Jersey who refused to give a pistol permit to a woman who was a victim of domestic violence and whose husband then killed her. Mm. There's so many bad cases that have come out of New Jersey, like that other woman who... uh, carried a gun for defensive purposes and got arrested and 
incarcerated for like years, like pending trial and like there was, they deemed her a flight risk or whatever the case was. And, and, uh, you know, because she was unlawfully in possession of a firearm or whatever, but, um, not to mention the police who got arrested with their hollow point ammunitions because they weren't cops in New Jersey. And I mean, that state, it definitely gives Massachusetts a run for its money and California a run for its money. Uh, no doubt about it. And not to be outdone by New York as well. It's like they're in a race. Yeah. They're, they're in a, they're in a contest to see who can be the most restrictive state in the union. And, uh, I wonder if they get together and like commiserate and like compare notes like Hochul and Newsom and, uh, you know, our governor here and et cetera, et cetera. But anyway, let's get to the topic at hand. And I teased it out a little bit. We talked about it last week, this Morton v. Liver case that was uh, GVR'd by the Supreme Court back to Massachusetts First Circuit Court of Appeals. And I don't know if there's been any movement on that or if any sides have made any uh, motions on this or or not. And uh, if so, uh, do you, did you have you been following it at all, Keith? I've been following it. I have not seen anything now that it's been remanded back to the uh, First Circuit Court of Appeals. But this is a classic example of bad cases making bad law, starting with the plaintiff who thought his Massachusetts LTC would cover him in Washington, D.C. Really? Seriously? Well, I, I can understand as a gun owner in Massachusetts when, you know, you're told by, I was told at 18 by the police chief that Massachusetts has reciprocity agreements with exactly zero other states. But if, you know, you've never heard that and you're a gun owner, and, you know, maybe you were always a gun owner. You grew up in a gun-owning family and you didn't know any better and, and you assumed uh, that you could carry a gun in other states because you thought it was like a driver's license. Um, I know ignorance is no excuse for the law, but let's put it this way. Uh, you got to be a law professor these days to keep up with all the laws, especially in Massachusetts. Uh, and you can even ask uh, five different people and get five different opinions ask police, ask a, I've had police ask me what the law is on certain gun things. And I'm like, dude, you're, you're in law enforcement. You should know better than I do. And, uh, they laugh and go, I know, but it's so confusing. Even they don't understand. So it's not as if Washington DC gun laws hadn't been in the news, right? The backflips, the federal district court, and then the court of appeals went through to, uphold the denial is just incredible uh, up to and including declaring that he wasn't banned because there was the theoretical possibility that he could inherit a gun mm. and since that didn't require an ffl to transfer in some cases it might as you well know uh he he wasn't banned from owning a handgun and of course there was the nonsense about how you can have a gun in your home on an FID card, which is not what the statute says. Uh, oh, but then you can have the gun in your in your home if you have an FID card and a permit to purchase, which I have never, ever, ever seen issued. I don't know anybody who even applied for a permit to purchase. 
And the criteria for a permit to purchase is that you be eligible for an LTC. Well, if you're oh, eligible my. for an LTC, why would you apply for a permit to purchase? It, so that's, that's the sort of nonsense and backflipping that got the Supreme Court's attention. And my kudos to the plaintiff and Commonwealth Second Amendment for fighting the good fight that long, that hard, and that far. Mm, yeah, because this goes back to, what, 2012 or 20? It's like 10 years ago, right? Oh, it, it's been a while working its way up through because first you've got the conviction. Right. And on his application, he answered no to that question. So, of course, he's denied. That's a false answer on the application. Mm. And the excuses I've heard many, many times is, well, I didn't go to jail. That's wonderful, but it doesn't ask if you went to jail. It asks if you were convicted of a crime which carried a potential penalty of jail, mm -hmm. which the gun conviction in D.C. did. Mm -hmm. So that started the whole cascade of events. And then the it's actually good that it took this long for the case to come, right. because had the Court of Appeals rendered its decision pre-Bruin, I don't know we, if we would have gotten the grant of certiorari, the vacating of the decision, and the remand back to the court. Now, because we've got Bruin, the appeals court has been fairly clearly instructed as to what it needs to do. And no, intermediate scrutiny, the nonsense it applied and the district court applied in the first two cases, is not going to cut it. Mm. So... Yeah, thank you for that, you know, history of it. And the interest, wasn't this guy a doctor too? I believe. I don't recall if he was a doctor. We've had a number of people in this situation. The woman in um, Pennsylvania who just was coming over the border to go shopping in New Jersey, the one you referred to. Yeah. And then there's a doctor who's fighting a rather chaotic a uh, series of cases in Massachusetts now on the novel theory that an LTC is a professional license. And unless you're carrying the gun for professional reasons, you don't need it and it doesn't apply to you. It's, hmm. it's interesting. We'll put yeah. it that way. So when you made the point that uh, they, one of the arguments of how they're not denying this guy is second amendment right to keep him bare arms because he could technically inherit a gun is almost like when Maura Healy's office made the argument during the COVID shutdown that they're not violating anybody's right to keep him bare arms uh, by shutting gun stores down because they can still do a private transfer. <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. It's, it, it's charade, smoke, screens and deflection and they're shutting down gun stores like you because you're such a grave threat to the common wheel mm. the public health isn't at all endangered by letting the big box stores stay open get packed while the small family-owned businesses die on the vine because she shut them down right so basically she used the gun gun show loophole as her argument that she's not violating your law, I mean, your your constitutional rights, which I found just baffling. Like, they hate the gun show loophole, quote-unquote, which basically just means you can do a private transfer without having to go to an FFL. And, and, and which does not require a gun show in any way, shape, manner, or form. Right. 
Right. It could be done in the Walmart parking lot. Uh, and if you're at a gun show, chances are you're dealing with an FFL. Therefore, it is going through the portal. And that's why Michaela Dunn and her staff set up a station at the gun shows for people who forgot their uh, pins. So they get the pins so they can do the purchase. Right. But I just found it extremely ironic how they uh, didn't want the the gun control uh, gun show to be able to happen, but unless it helped their argument, you know, <laughs> and uh, they're making it sound like they're big defenders of the Second Amendment there, uh, because they allow you to do a private transfer during a COVID shutdown or whatever. But anyway, it it just goes to prove that they really just despise your right to keep and bear arms and will do whatever is necessary to twist it and work it into the favor, uh, some sort of favorable outcome as far as they're concerned, not not to give the benefit of the doubt to the person who shouldn't be infringed upon in the first place. Of course not, because as you well know, gun control is never about guns. It's always about control. Mm, that's true. Absolutely true. Uh, hey, Keith, so how can people find you on your website if they want to uh, look you up and they need your services, uh, need well, some help? Well, the fastest way is just go to the internet search engine of your choice. I prefer DuckDuckGo for the privacy. And type in Keith Langer, K-E-I-T-H-L-A-N-G-E-R. Go to the website, kglangerlaw.com. Or call the office, 508 508- Three eight four eight six nine two again five zero eight three eight four eight six nine two. All right, thanks so much, Keith, and uh, yeah, we appreciate you tuning in every Have week. A good one, you too. And if is your workplace prepared for a violent incident? We have a special seminar to recognize workplace threats November fourth at one p.m. Bring your team to this two-hour seminar that will give you the insights to preventing and mitigating workplace violence. Go to capegunworks.com to sign up. We'll be right back. This is Rapid Fire. This is the Voltec VT-10i. It's your travel buddy, so it goes where you go. To your work, on the road, or at the range. It's the smart and rugged safe built to protect, no matter what you trust it with. We've made sure every inch of your safe is built to the highest possible standards. Security is at the forefront of our thoughts, so no unwanted guest. The VT-10i provides multiple quick and simple access points, including high-resolution biometrics, backlit numeric keys, key entry, and even your smartphone for remote access. The two-point anti-impact latches keep your safe strong, and Voltec lithium-ion battery charges in just 2.5 hours and lasts up to six months, so it won't let you down. There's a reason we're the number one rated biometric safe. Get yours at VoltecSafe.com and find us online at Facebook.com slash VoltecSafe.
Welcome back to Rapid Fire, your weekly show all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense. And we talk about all kinds of stuff that's important at the time. And right now, I'm really happy to have in studio again uh, Mike Harris, who is the Director of Public Policy for Gun Owners Action League. Yeah. And thanks so much for coming down, Mike, making the trip. Absolutely. Glad to be back. All right. <laughs> and uh, so um, last time we were talking a lot about stuff that as it relates to Massachusetts, yeah. that House docket 5245 and making sure we support that and the whole whole overhaul of the mass license to carry um, system and how important it is to support that. And you know, but one thing that's been happening is almost on like the national level, all the cases that have sprung out as a result of yeah. that Bruin decision, or been sent back down. The, yeah, those the GVRs from the uh, from the Supreme Court. Right. I mean those those what was it four cases. Right. That was those were a big deal. That was awesome. Let me ask you about that. The, I'm sure. not sure if you know this or not because it's been something that has been a conundrum to me. But if Mm-hmm. The Supreme Court vacates one of those lower court decisions and said, but they grant cert to them. Mm-hmm. They grant certiorari to them, yeah. and then they vacate it and send it back down, and say, now you have to rule on this the way the single step process yep. through through Bruin with strict scrutiny and use his, his history, review, yeah, yeah, text and mm-hmm. tradition. Um, does that if it's the Ninth Court? Circuit Court of Appeals, does it affect us here in Massachusetts because they granted cert to it? Unfortunately, no. Okay. But um, the weird thing that's been going on that I've, I've been noticing and I've, you know, I, I, I love watching all the uh, the gun tuber guys like uh, Arm Scholar yeah. and like Reno May and those guys who are coming out of California, especially because, you know, even with just like they're kind of like the bellwether state for like the gun control efforts that are going to be coming they're also the bellwether state for challenges which is right. really cool to see because um you know you get a guy like judge benitez on the ninth circuit who is you know a normal person right um <laughs> and uh, you get to see kind of how uh, a more pro 2a judge would rule on these things um you know in other courts system in, in other circuits as well. So it's kind of like a, it's a neat little kind of thought experiment to watch. Um, even though it doesn't affect us through, you know, precedent and stare decisis, mm-hmm. it still is a good indication of how decisions um, or how challenges to those types of provisions would go in other circuits, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I do. It just... You know, part of me was kind of a little bit disappointed that mm-hmm. the Supreme Court just didn't take it and sure. rule on it and then put it a, put an end to it th- for the country. So, uh, but because they vacated those decisions and sent them back down to the lower mm-hmm. court, I, I was like, shoot, now it's not going to affect us. But I had this hopeful glimmer that because they did grant cert to it yeah. before they uh, vacated the lower court decision that it might still be as if the Supreme Court ruled on it. But I guess, right. yeah. So um, well, the remand, unfortunately, is right. the case. Yeah. Okay. So what that means to us is we watch what happens there, and then we got to do the same yep. thing here. Yeah. I mean, I, I've been we've been kind of talking about it, and you know, um, after Bruin, the the big ones to look at are the First Circuit, the Fourth Circuit, the Ninth Circuit, and the DC Circuit. Mm-hmm. And as as those circuits go, so go the rest of them. I think. Yeah. With a lot of the stuff because they're traditionally the most 
restrictive when it comes to this these types of issues. Mm-hmm. So when we see how those circuits rule, given the new standard of review that was handed down in Bruin by the Supreme Court, we'll kind of see how the rest of the country is going to kind of domino as well. Sure. Um, I don't know. It's just unbelievable to see how many v bonta cases come out of california right now it's wild <laughs> yeah so i, I don't know I, I know we there are some things in the works uh you know fbc has some stuff rolling uh goa just filed um their case against uh the atf using the epa standard mm-hmm. um you know where the let me see i, I wrote it down a little while ago because I, th- I was thinking about it, the uh, West Virginia v- EPA case where the regulatory agencies can't create legislation right. when it's a major question issue. Yeah. Um, so the major question doctrine is what has to be sure. used instead of Chevron deference, um, where if an administrative agency makes a policy where there's a vast economic or political impact, they don't just get the deference from the Supreme Court and the federal government to do that. They have to, it has to be legislated. Right. So, well, look at how the ATF makes decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, they do it, even did it for Trump basically with, but yeah, it was a little bit different of a process. At least they went through the, the process. Cause they had to, yeah, they had to. And, uh, um, but if they make these policy changes, what is the outcome as a result of those? People could be arrested, imprisoned, fined. Their lives can be yeah. ruined mm-hmm. over an unelected body. Yeah, based on a policy decision. Based on a policy decision. An administrative decision. policy decision. So they're a fourth branch of the government at that point. Essentially, yeah. Yeah, and making their own law. And I can't, I can't believe that the legislature just, uh, you know, shirked their duties so long ago and allowed so yeah. many... They, they do that all the time. I know, but it just is. <laughs> you'd think, like as as power hungry of as these people are, you would say they would pound the thing mm-hmm. and go, "That's our job to write law, not your job." Yeah, I but, mean, just a just a microcosm. I mean, the, of the of the abdication of duty issue is. Uh, I mean, not to bring it back to Massachusetts again, but we've had a whole bunch of discussions with the uh, with the Firearms Records Bureau discussing the state system for our licensing laws and they insist that it's a local license that huh. it's it's given out by the it's nope that's given out by the by the towns we're like no it's a state process it's 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 a state statute you just give the last word to these people right. like oh no it's a local license we're like okay what the hell so it's just it's just a microcosm of right. the abdication of duty issue that mm-hmm. happens all the way up and down government well hopefully the they rule favorably uh, on this decision. I'm glad someone's challenged that. And that was, can't. yeah, that's the that's the been one of the big things that we're all waiting to see uh, and hear from on on that because it, it's parallel. You can't like Clarence Thomas said years ago. Um, the Second Amendment has become a disfavored right. Yeah, and then he put in the wording of the s- syllabus of the Bruin yeah. case that. The Second Amendment is not a second-class second class right. right. Yeah. And you got to hold it to the same standard as everything else. Yeah. So you can't have it one way for the EPA 
in a different way for the ATF just Absolutely. because guns are involved. You know? It's huge. Yeah. yeah. And that's always the argument when you talk to people who aren't really familiar with guns or educated about guns in general. It's, but they kill people. They can kill people. Someone saying something doesn't kill people. And it's like, uh, it's a right. A right is a right. Yeah. And the fact is, they do a lot of good, too. Yeah. They keep a lot of people from getting killed. They keep a lot of people from being molested or being harmed or being mm-hmm. kidnapped or being raped or being, you know, yeah. taken advantage of. And there's a reason why they didn't put us in uh, little camps here during COVID, and they did, they did do it in Australia. Mm, or not that's to be true. all conspiratorial and all that. No, but, but you're you know, 100% right. There's got to be something to that. Right. An armed populace is a free populace. <laughs> yeah. That would be a tough go, like yeah. round up 100 million people and try to put them off into little concentration oh, yeah. camps. But Oh, I'm sorry, COVID camps. <laughs> uh, yeah. But anyway, um, so there's also other cases cropping up. That mm-hmm. are, there's another Bruin case. There's a You were talking about a Heller another case. Another Heller case. Yeah. What, what's that one? Uh, so the Heller decision. So uh, New York also did this. So, uh, you know, Heller is D.C. So right. um, there's a new law in D.C. or I don't know. I don't know if it's a law in, if it's in D.C. It's a it's a um, whatever. It doesn't matter. There's a policy or yeah. regulation. Yeah, probably. regulation. Yeah. So where um, a... Even if you have a license to carry, you can only carry up to 20 rounds of, of ammunition, enough to reload your gun one time after using it. So if you have a 10-round mag, then you can only carry one more 10-round mag. So Dick Heller is challenging that as well. He, that guy is a champion. Yes, no <laughs> doubt about it. What a, what a sacrifice to give up just spending all that time in court over the last few years. Unbelievable. We owe that guy a lot. We do. Absolutely. And you know what's funny is uh, part of me is thinking that Massachusetts is kicking themselves saying, why didn't we think of that? Like, you know, there's people in here like, how do we let that slip? How did D.C. beat us to the punch on that? Like, New York is doing the same thing. I think they just tried to put that in. I think they just put that in place, too. Yeah. Uh, New York is is a wacky place right now. I I just keep thinking. So, you know, after World War One, where, you know, Germany was just all embarrassed after the Paris Paris Accords and all that stuff, and they just were just ripe for a tyrant to take over. That's how I look at New York. The government is just so mad that they lost the Bruin case, and they're so angry that they're just willing to just throw caution to the wind and just restrict everything. Yeah. I haven't <laughs> read read into it, but um, New York is saying that they're going to suspend concealed carry permits for seven months. So they're, okay. they're planning on... this is inter-office, you know, email leaks that came out and say, hey, we're just going to have to, you know, pump the brakes here for seven months. Yeah, okay. Right delayed is right denied. That's exactly right. (laughs) Exactly right. And, you know, um, I was thinking about that during the whole uh, COVID lockdowns, you know, when they were saying... um, It was wild. Yeah. Saying, oh, we're not denying people their right to keep and bear arms because they can still do private transfers. And... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> wild yeah so they used the gun show loophole argument to show how they weren't yeah. violating your rights <laughs> i'm it's like incredible. this is brilliant can i i want to frame that on a plaque and send it to the attorney general's office and be like we're not infringing on people's rights because they can still do private transfers 
It's like, okay. okay. But if you don't have a license, you're not doing a private transfer. Uh, and you're not issuing license because of, you know, the big C. So mm-hmm. that we talked about it last time. Like, in this day and age, get it online and make it an easy process. Otherwise, yeah. you're violating my constitutional rights. Yeah, making people have to go down to the police station in person and make an appointment and make sure that the right person's there. It's so outdated. Yeah. So what is goal got on the horizon? What are, what are we working towards in this state as far as goals concerned? And uh, what what is some of the issues that we see coming up or some of the obstacles that we're fighting on a day-to-day? Uh, so, you know, our, the Attorney General is just a roadblock to freedom mm-hmm. every chance she gets. Um, and she's probably going to be the next governor, Dude, unfortunately, which is, which is wild. I, I hope not. Sorry. I, I, uh. wanna, I really want to paint her in the same light as Scott Harshbarger mm-hmm. and say to the good people of Massachusetts, you did it before, let's do it again. Yeah. Do not elect someone who is hell-bent on taking your Second Amendment rights away. It's insane. Yeah. Right? Isn't it, isn't it crazy that... That's a that's a selling point for some people. Yeah, and that's like their their main campaign issue. Yeah. And the crazy thing about that is, um, m- most gun grabbers used to say, "I support the Second Amendment. I support your right to go hunt deer and ducks, and you know have that double barrel shotgun." Thanks. But and their <laughs> their big but is. Nobody needs an assault weapon. Maura Haley's never done that. She just overtly, yeah. nobody needs guns. We need to, you know, these things are instruments of war, weapons of war, and blah, blah, blah. So she's obviously yeah. the same as Scott Harshbarger, and the people of Massachusetts need to vote her out. How can people find you, Mike, and how can we support the work Gold does? Uh, yeah, check out uh, gold.org. Uh, if you like what we're doing and you take a look at everything we're doing, uh, come remember, it's only 30 bucks for the year. It's short money. Um, and uh, if you uh, live in Massachusetts, please uh, go to malegislature.gov and check out House Docket uh, 5245. It is, uh, it's our bill. It's uh, an act to restore civil rights. Um, and it is uh, our bill that would bring Massachusetts licensing laws in line with the Bruin standard. Nice. And you guys also have a podcast, right? Yep. Uh, it's that? the the Goal Podcast. I think it's, uh, if you check out like Spotify or... Um, or Apple Podcasts, okay. look up Gold uh, Podcast or Gun Owners Action League Podcast. These guys are great too. They're awesome, fun. awesome. All right, well, thanks so much for coming on. And we're going to break. You should go to the rapidfireradio.us and check out the latest Rapid Fire gear. Show your Pro 2A by wearing a shirt, hat, or grab a flag. Go to rapidfireradio.us and click on Get Rapid Fire Gear. More after this, we'll be right back. This is Rapid Fire. become all the rage these days. Apparently the mainstream media has gotten all over this term and they're really misinterpreting what it means. And there's something that you need to know as a responsibly armed American. Constitutional carry simply allows you to carry a gun without a permit. That's it. It does not vacate your responsibility of what you're going to do with that gun. Remember, you are responsible for every action you take and certainly every round that comes out of that muzzle. And constitutional carry doesn't take that away. So when we're arguing with anti-gunners who are complaining that constitutional carry makes the world less safe, 
Let's remind them that whether a state has constitutional carry or an over-the-top requirement for you to get your concealed carry permit, none of that takes away your responsibility when you're dealing with a firearm. You will be held accountable for your actions as every responsibly armed American should be. So make sure you get the proper training and you know your laws so you're doing the right thing. I'm Kevin Michalowski, editor of Concealed Carry Magazine. Go to uscca.com to learn more about protecting yourself and your family. Your safety and your knowledge of the law are your responsibility. That's why you need to join the USCCA to get special training, legal advice, and legal protection. Go to uscca.com forward slash remote and use code WORKS. That's uscca.com forward slash remote and use code WORKS to sign up for the USCCA today, where I am also a member. Um, Great legal protection. All right. Well, I want to thank you guys uh, for listening to that interview with uh, Mike Harris from Gun Owners Action League. Jump over to Goal to get on their podcast and check out what they do for the good people of Massachusetts. And uh, it is a constant fight. we got to kick the ball up the hill every day in order to, uh, you know, see our rights, at least the status quo <laughs> of our rights. And the good news is there's important legal challenges. So make sure you support you know, Firearms Policy Coalition, National Association for Gun Rights. Those are two uh, big gun rights organizations that are, have cases in Massachusetts. Gun Owners of America, of course, does a lot of good work. Uh, Second Amendment Organization. Um, these are all companies and places you can send money to Gun Owners Action League. Uh, Com2A are both Massachusetts-based uh gun rights organizations that are doing a lot with the court systems, et cetera, and, and to preserve your rights. And who would have thought that this, the battle for your rights would be so overt and so uh, almost on a week in week out basis. It's definitely on a year in year out basis, but it's almost yearly, weekly, monthly that we, we see some sort of attack or some sort of infringement, or some sort of regulation, or some sort of, uh, you know, prohib- prohibition on this or that or the other thing. And we've come so far from the original intent of our founders. That's why this landmark decision, the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association v. Bruin case, has been so powerful and so instrumental in our history um, to preserving our rights. Uh, that is that is an amazing uh, case that is going to have, you know, for years to come, it'll have big, big, make big waves for us here. And, uh, you know, the more you think about it, um, you would never have suffered or endured what we've endured as gun owners uh, all these years. I've been a gun owner since 1993, or, uh, yeah, 1993. And the attacks, the pressure, the um, constant barrage of anti-gun messaging by the big tech media, the, you know, the corporate media um, that is really, uh, I, I refer to it more as the 
cabal media because they are all in on it and their messaging is united, not to mention uh, the pressures from anti-gun groups like, uh, you know, the Every Town and Bloomberg, uh, mayors for gun safety and um, the, you know, the uh, Brady and there's a ton of them. So there's all these groups that, you know, want to take away your right to keep and bear arms and think your constitutional rights should be able to be discarded at will. But think about what if we would tolerate or suffer our First Amendment rights going through the same type of effort or our Fourth Amendment rights or our Fifth Amendment rights or our Fourteenth Amendment rights. Imagine, uh, you know, them trying to sell you a license, make you go take a background check, make you um, get fingerprinted and photographed and have your name entered into a database that would keep track of you that is the same database that's being tracked by the Department of Criminal Justice and register your movements and what you buy in order to exercise your fill-in-the-blank right, any other enumerated right in the Constitution. Crazy. Um, The USCCA is sponsoring a special presentation with Beth Alcazar here at Cape Comrades, a nationally recognized author and authority on self-defense Learn how to carry a fi- how carrying a firearm is different for women, and how better to better defend your family. This is for women only. So sign up at Cape Gunworks. It's November fifth on Saturday, and take it from me. I know. I tried to sit in on this class, and I was shown the door. So it's a women's only class, and we look forward to having you and having Beth Alcazar here. So more after this. You're listening to Rapid Fire. Made in America since 1949. Family owned and operated. Legendary performance. This is Hornady. Federal ammunition is 100. This is where the American ingenuity met a trailblazing spirit. Hard work united with patriotism and technology blended with new ideas. That's federal ammunition. Right here in Anoka, Minnesota, born in 1922, made in America, and proud to be the best. Federal ammunition, a century of innovation, and we're only getting started. SnapSafe, featuring a pry-resistant 316-inch solid steel door, 2300-degree Fahrenheit one-hour fire shield protection, and a lifetime warranty. SnapSafe, a modular safe with welded safe security. Welcome back to Rapid Fire, your weekly 2A talk radio show where you can speak your mind and let your voice be heard. You can always call the Rapid Fire line, 508-444-2120. You can leave a message, be live on the air with me, or send a text, 508-444-2120. If we don't pick up, leave a message about where you are, what your question is, what your name is, and we will get to it on the air. Um... A couple weeks ago, there was a tragedy that happened in Thailand in a heavily gun-controlled and restricted state of Thailand uh, by a former police officer who uh, 
was allegedly forced from the department after failing a drug test, and he was due in court uh, in a on a the very next day um, of this atrocity. And apparently, he didn't want to go to court, so he ended up going to this daycare center where he shot 22 children, and it was a combination of shot and stabbed. 22 children and two adults uh, were killed, not to mention others that were injured. Uh, This guy was 34 years old. He had already killed his wife and his stepson, um, and then he ended up taking his own life. And the, the irony of this situation was to see the mafia media or the mainstream media point out how uh, and almost lamenting how Thailand's restrictive gun control had failed because they let this guy slip through the cracks. Even um, CNN observed that the 34-year-old uh, attacker uh, took his own life and his stepson. And, and uh, then the University of Sydney's gunpolicy.org pointed out that Thailand has restrictive gun control which includes a ban on semi-automatic rifles, a licensing requirement for handgun and ammo purchases, and an in-depth background check on gun and ammo uh, licensing issuance. And you need to go through a background check just to purchase ammunition and get a special license uh, where it considers personal conduct, your living conditions, your income, criminal records. The license application can be denied if an apprehended uh likelihood of family violence exists. Uh, a Thailand gun license uh, is linked to a specific gun, and the license holder is only allowed to have that one gun with the use of that license. And uh, moreover, every privately held firearm in Thailand must be registered with the government, and a private gun sale is illegal. So uh, interestingly enough, um, the the gun control world's narrative is being shattered before their eyes because they this is the gun control paradigm where every gun has to be registered you're allowed one gun you need a special license to buy ammunition they consider your social status your living conditions your income your family situation they can determine whether or not they think you have a propensity to violence and all of this stuff still managed to fail miserably. Uh, and you see one of the most horrific uh, attacks of evil upon children and upon women uh, by this total coward who didn't want to face up for his drug use charges the year before or whatever. And ironically, he was a police officer. It's just unbelievable to me. And so as they're here lamenting the fact that this didn't work, how come the gun control didn't work? And, oh, he must have slipped through the cracks of the system or, you know, they didn't come round up his guns when he was charged with gun drug uh, paraphernalia or drug use. And the point is gun control never works. It never works. Gun control is a control on the people. It is it has nothing to do with guns. It only has to do with being able to control your actions, what you can do, what you can say, where you can go, how you can, how how to do it. And uh you know, once they disarm the populace, then they have ultimate control. And the fact that all these guns are registered as well 
once you get to a gun registration uh, situation, then they can easily just come round them all up because they, they, well, I don't know how easily it would happen in this country, but um, they can round them up because they know exactly what you have and where you, and for some reason they're fixated on the ability to track your weapons, track your guns, make sure that they know every gun that you have. The only, there's only one reason for that. And that is because registration leads to confiscation. It's the slippery slope. It's the it's the end result of all gun control and registration. So, uh, you know, I think that's a perfect example, and it's a horrific example of the failure of gun control on an international level, even with the most restrictive and even with the laundry list of gun grabbers. Uh, getting what they want, how it will still continue to fail, just like gun-free zones fail, like we mentioned in the first hour. So anyway, let's get to some of your questions on the way out the door here. Um, If I want to buy an 80 percenter off from another state and bring it to Massachusetts, is that legal currently? Uh, Yeah, the 80 percent technically is not a firearm. Uh, Look at the ATF's guidance on that, it's absolutely insane. If it has a jig with it, well, now it's a firearm. If it has tools to make it into a firearm, now it's a firearm. There's a bunch of nuance about it. But if it's just an 80% lower, it can't be considered a firearm here or there or wherever. So um, Parker says, if you think if and when Maura Healy gets elected, she will be like the New York governor to push the envelope further. Uh, and having everything go to court, or will she fold the Bruin? No, I think she will be a carbon copy of Hochul. That's why we got to stop her now. It's less than a month away, guys. We have an opportunity to put Jay McMahon in the Attorney General's chair and Jeff Deal in the corner office on Beacon Hill, and we have to do it. There's too much at, at stake. So spread the message far and wide. Even a lot of liberal People who might not believe as you believe or as I believe or whatever, a lot of them still believe in the right to keep and bear arms. That might have some differences of opinion in, in how to get there or how to do it, but at the very core of their of their beings, they believe in the right to keep and bear arms. We need to put what is at stake on this ballot, on this election, and not be afraid to talk about it. Uh, and... Uh, Parker says, if we lose the second, the the rest will follow in time. And 500 says, hopefully she'll fold to Bruin. Best of luck to y'all, because he's from a free state. Uh, So anyway, uh, yeah, it's a terrible story. Uh, Someone says, rip to the victims and my condolences to the families. Yeah, it's one of those tragedies that breaks your heart. Um, And real quick, uh, we had a question on... um, if you can actually own an AR or any semi-automatic rifle with a pistol grip and a detachable magazine in the state? The answer is kind of. You can do it with a pre-ban AR or some other gun like a, uh, you know, CZ Bren 2 or a SIG MCX. So call the store and we'll, we'll straighten out on that. But we want to thank you guys for tuning in. Remember, the show ends here, but you can always tune in at Rapid Fire Radio or call uh, rapidfireradio.us or call or text the Rapid Fire line. 508-444-2120. Do we have extra content today after the... All right, so stay tuned after the show if you're watching online. Uh, keep up the good fight. Support your local community. And your lo- be a gun advocate. And together we can overcome anything. I'm Toby Leary. God bless. We will see you next time on Rapid Fire. But stay tuned for some bonus content if you're watching online. I'll see you next time.